Well, was that true, what he just sang? Sometimes we don't like it, right? <laughs> but he did. Always perfect. I want to show you a few slides and uh, just to kind of remind us about this weekend. You want to? There we go. Isn't that incredible? I mean, even to see it every year and just look at, oh my. Show me another one. This, uh, I, I guess I never connected Boston so much as going back and reviewing, and I can't imagine how it must have just been so personal to everybody here in this area that the terrorists left Boston. American Airlines, you know, 81 passengers, 11 crew, and uh, bound for L.A., Five, five hijackers. Next slide. Then United Airlines, just a few minutes later, again bound for L.A. And uh, 56 passengers, nine crew. Next. And then what we all saw, we were, uh, you'll never forget where you were when you first heard, 20,000 gallons of jet fuel crashed into the building next and uh, you'll see the black smoke there that was the first plane that hit and then the second plane all the flames there go back to the writing go to the next slide there you go the black smoke was from flight 11 it plunged into the building at 466 miles an hour severing all three stairwells no one above the impact zone lived. Next. 16 minutes later, the next one at even a higher speed. And, of course, we saw the building collapse. Is that it? Is there one more? Yeah. And there's, there's much more. The crash in Pennsylvania, and of course, there, but... Okay, then the one thing that maybe we've forgotten is 3,400 people, almost 35, have died since that day because of a variety of illnesses caused by the asbestos or other things that were involved in that uh, terrorist attack. Thank you. We often hear the words remember. It's on a lot of 9-11 mottos or photos remember remember and sad to say it's good for us to remember um george hegel um he died in 1831 we've heard this quote before the one thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history and history is sadly repeating itself and so many people have said oh no the way we left uh, you know, the, the last conflict, and look, it's going to heap again. It's going to be another whatever, Vietnam or Korea, or we're going to see 9-11 again. We will see history repeating itself because we don't learn from our history. And God said that several times to the Jews. <laughs> and the, there's a phrase uh, uh, that's in the Bible, it, it, 
the phrase is about the Bible events uh, where it's called the sad cycle of how Israel just didn't learn the lesson. It had to go through these cycles of um, issues and, and repentance and getting right with God and backsliding and over again. Had to do it seven times and they still didn't learn their lesson. Uh, we don't learn very well. We're slow learners. It says in this verse, uh, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. And so I would like to look at this context again. We looked at it last week. And when we looked at it last week, God admired this church's work ethic. They worked hard. And I really believe that in this church, most of you, if not all of you, you know how to work hard. That came, you maybe saw your parents working hard, maybe multiple jobs, and, and you too have taken some of that ethic on, and we, we applaud that, work hard. But what they had forgotten was their love for God. They were not loving God like they used to. And we left the service last week with, with that we need to schedule, we need to plan our love for God. It is not going to be some kind of a lightning strike where we say, oh yeah, okay, now I'm going, you know, we get energized or emotional and we begin loving God. It doesn't come that way. Uh, we literally have to schedule it. We have to plan on it. Um, I don't know, way back in school somewhere, one time someone said, if you keep doing the same thing and expect different results, that's insanity. You've heard that, something like that. And, you know, if you have a glass of tea, as Jim Berg used to say, and you keep pouring tea in it, what do you expect? Tea. <laughs> you know, same results. And uh, I think sometimes we as Christians just think, well, it's going to work out. It's going to get better. No, it's not. We have to do something differently so that it will get better. Um, the great commandment is love the Lord thy God, right? And that's... that takes a plan that 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 takes a schedule that that takes some organization to for us to purpose that that we have to think about it that's our self-talk and we have to have the right purpose this is why we're doing it we're not we're not trying to work out a deal with god god i love you if you'll give me what i want no there has to be the correct purpose and of course all the planning that everything else that goes into that so let me, before we even look at this new text, let me ask you, what are we doing today to show God that we love him? What is different this past week about our loving God? Well, if nothing, then we're no different than we were last week. And that is where this church was. There was no difference. There was no scheduling. There was no planning. There was, no, there was no, nothing going on that was going to make them different. And they were just drifting. They're going downriver like a dead fish. And so most of us, we look at it and say, okay, well, I'd really like to have that or have that love for God. Uh, but guess what needs to be done? We have to, we have to exchange some of the stuff that we're doing for what we want. Now, any of us could have made more money if we were to sacrifice more, right? 
If we would have sacrificed more of our health or time or life, we could have made some more money. If we would have sacrificed our family or a few other things, we could have made more money. But you know what we said? Uh Uh-uh. We know that even to love God, we're going to have to sacrifice something. And you know what God wants us to sacrifice? Some of the junk that we're doing that's wasting our time. And we all have time wasters. There are still things going on in our life that we need to exchange that for this. And, and God's not asking us, you know, like, okay, just uh, divorce your family and go live as a monk somewhere. That's not what God's saying. He wants us to give up some of the stuff that really has no value to it. There's no eternity uh, come return on it. And it would make, really, the people we live with a lot happier if we love God. And God said, hey, exchange that for me. Interesting. And um, honestly, we'd all probably, if we thought real hard, we're not loving God like we used to. Proof is very simple, really. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So how are we doing? Uh, Isn't that really, as a parent, isn't that what maybe you've said to your children, if you love me, you obey me? That's true. Oh, mommy, mommy, I love you so much. I'm going to go do what I want. Not true. And we, we can't do that to God, too. Now, so here's where I think most of us are. We look at this, okay, loving God, okay, okay. To what extent are we going to love God? Where's that? To what extent is a child going to obey his parents? It's not just doing the things the child wants to do. It's, it's just a, it's an umbrella thing. Okay, I'm going to show love to my parents in part by obeying them. And we do that with God. Okay, well, I'm going to love God, but it's going to be on my terms. No. Hey, um, name, name a few examples of things that what Jesus would love for us to do. Name something that you know that, that God wants his children, his, the born-again people on this planet, to do. Ah, that's how we show love to God. Okay, in this verse, verse 5, that we're looking at, God has given to us some very specific principles. And I overviewed them last week, but I want us to look at what really Jesus has said about this that will help us to love and obey him. And by the way, these are commands. This is not so, oh yeah, these are three suggestions. There are no more suggestions than the ten commands that that God gave Moses to the Jews. So what is the first word in verse 5? What is it? Remember, what's the second command? Repent. And the third command is do. So this first, remember. Now let me just make a comment. This Patriot Day is not the day of remembrance. There was a day of remembrance back in April. In fact, it was April 8th that President Franklin Roosevelt gave us to remember. Do you remember what that was? It was Holocaust. 
And because of the six million Jews more that were killed, he said, let's have a day of remembrance here so that doesn't come back around again. You know what? I don't think any of us or many of us celebrated the day of remembrance back in April. We what? We forgot it. It wasn't on the news. If it was, it wasn't there long. We're not celebrating April 8th, and every year it's a different date, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. We're not celebrating the Day of Remembrance. We hardly are celebrating 9-11 anymore, Patriot Day. And definitely here, we're, we're not remembering Revelation 2. It's not, God says, hey, remember. We go, oh yeah, yeah, hmm. Next, remember. This is an imperative. An imperative is a command. And all three of these words, remember, repent, and do, they're all commands. This is how we, we, we respond. This is, this is how we show love. This is how we make changes. And these are very practical. And I'm not, I'm not going to get into real, a lot of depth here, but, but these are awesome principles for us to remember, to think about, to put, to put in on our schedule and say, okay, how should that work for me today? What should this look like? What, what is it that today I, I can exchange for God? Instead of watching a ball game, I can spend time with my wife at Home Depot or somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, so, oh yeah, I, instead of doing what I want, you know, I can, you know, instead of uh, working on my flowers, I can, you know, fix my husband a, a special meal. Whatever it is, we can, we, we can always exchange something that's okay for something that's better. And God wants us to do that. So, let's remember, it's a command. Hey, do you remember how how you were maybe at one time in your Christian life and you'd have and I've often asked this question especially for young married couples when was it that you were your very best as a Christian answer the question when was it that you were at your very best as a Christian what should the answer be now I don't think I've ever run across, maybe one exception, a young couple wanting to get married and they were at their very best as a Christian. You know what? Already, before they ever saw me, they were busy with wedding details. They were busy on renting things. They were busy on their honeymoon plans. They were busy with other stuff. And guess what happened? All their busyness took their place of being right with God. They exchanged being right with God for a bunch of details. Is there anything wrong with detailing a wedding? Yes or no? No. Unless it takes God's place. I, I know really some weddings, they were, more in, they were more interested in the details of the wedding than they were their marriage. I think sometimes we do that too. Was there a time we had what we might say more pure, sacrificial love? We cared more for others 
And, and we say, oh, well, that's water under the bridge. What can I do about it now? Well, this is important. This is God's command. This is how we love him. This is how the things get restored. And, and by the way, let me say this. If you're rather a new Christian, you say, well, I don't have, I don't have a lot of data. I, don't have, you know, I haven't been saved for 30 years or 40 years, whatever it is. I haven't been saved that long. Well, then where should you be? What's that, what should that look like? Negatively, Ephesus here needed to be remembered or need to be remembering certain things. This was a blessed church at Ephesus. And by the way, how many times have you heard it said about this church, this is a blessed church? Have you heard that? Uh, You have, and it's true. Ephesus? Who went to Ephesus? Paul, and he lived there for three years. Timothy was there. And Luke was there. We could go on, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. She lived there. Can you imagine having Mary in church? And then, of course, John was the pastor there for about 30 years. But he was an old guy, by the way, when he went to Ephesus. And then he got taken and he was exiled on the island and he brought back to the church for a little while before he died. There was a lot of godly influence, a lot of godly people in this church. But you have to remember, this is so incredible. That was the previous generation, many of them. Their parents had all this wonderful influence And now the children were the church leaders. And you know what? When John is writing this, he is saying to these Christian families, you have left your first love. You've left even the love of your parents that they had for Jesus. You as a family have drifted away. You're not doing what your parents did or you're... You're doing what your parents would never do. You've left your first love. Your family isn't known for its love for God anymore. And You know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think sometimes we think, well, okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to get back to that. This is just a short-term parentheses. Did you ever have one of those? I have. Okay, I'm going to be busy, and I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to work extra hard, and I'm going to work those 12, 18-hour days, whatever it is. I'm going to get this done, and it's just going to be for a little while. What often happens? It goes on and on, doesn't it? For some reason, Satan gets in there and stirs the pot, and before you know it, it's not just a few weeks, it's a few months. Or sometimes, instead of a few months, it's a few years. And we get all messed up. And we're tired. I am so tired, right? Do you ever say that? Oh, how am I going to stay awake? I, I don't have time to think about God anymore. Oh, right? My meditation is shot. I'm not doing the study that I used to do. 
What happened? Drift. It happens to all of us. Sad to say. It's always easier to go downhill than up. And maybe we think someday, someday I'm going to get back. This is just short term. This is just a little bit of time. And, and, and we don't do anything about it. We don't schedule it. We, we don't make plans. We don't start our mornings and say, okay, okay, today I'm giving up this so I can do this. Maybe nothing wrong with this, but, but this is more important. It's not going to come magically. It's not going to come if we don't do anything. If we don't have a plan in place, it's, there's not going to be movement. When Paul was in Ephesus, this church and their love for Jesus just oozed out on everybody. And Paul makes several references to it. He says, and even in Acts, he says, All the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You know what he's talking about? Everybody in Turkey heard the gospel. And this was the key church. Not only around Ephesus, but all of Turkey. In fact, even the silversmiths that rioted in Ephesus against the Christians was because so many people were turning to Christ, they weren't buying the idols anymore. But what does that tell you? There was a lot of Christian influence there, wasn't there? But it was past tense. Hey, when was the last time we shared the gospel? I don't mean standing on a chair in a street corner and waving to everybody that goes by and giving them a track or telling them they're going to hell. I don't mean that. I mean, when have we last time we bought somebody a lunch or we, we invited somebody over or we just casually, as we were talking to them and loving them a little bit, we shared Jesus with them. When's the last time that happened? Hey, did we, did we talk to anybody about Jesus this week? You know, I think we're smarter, but you know what we've done? We've lost our gospel message. I know more. I understand my doctrines. I got my theology written. Do you know if we love Jesus, we talk about him? Right? We'd also act like him. So here is John talking about, to these children about their parents. Their parents were idol worshipers. Their parents had been pagans. And their parents loved Jesus more than they did. But the children knew more. Is that backwards? It's the second generation that grew up in a Christian home. First generation Christian home. But they got distracted. Life as a Christian became mundane or routine. It was not thoughtful. It didn't have the passion. They were busy, too busy doing other things. How many here is a first generation Christian? Raise your hand. Okay. Put your hand down. Who's a second generation Christian? Raise your hand. Okay. Anybody a third? Okay, a few of you. Watch out. Watch out. 
You would think if we had Christian parents, we'd be good for life. Man, I have a Christian parent. By the way, my parents were first-generation Christians. They got saved as adults. I'm a second generation. And sometimes second generations coast. Ah, We know it, right? We know it. We've learned how to pray. We heard our parents pray. We know the books of the Bible. We can, we can say the books of the Bible. We're a second generation Christian. We can, we can sing the songs without even looking at the screen. We, we know some of the choruses. We've, we've, we've heard about this. We know some of the little uh, nuances within Christianity. We're a second generation Christian. Whoa, yes. Many advantages, but sad to say, many second-generation second Christians are backslidden. They're away from God. It's not that they don't know it. It's not that they don't know about God. But they're not in love with him anymore. Slow to apply. It says remember. And this is not just remember once. This is This is a command that is to go on and on and on. This is linear. Keep on remembering. Keep on being mindful. Think about this over and over again. Make this part of our lives. Yes, we should be thinking about Jesus. And isn't that in part what worship is? We can come up to somebody and say, oh, it's so good to see you. I'm glad you're here. And we could be saying the words without heart, right? You can't do that to Jesus. Because he knows heart. He knows what we're thinking. Are we really glad to be talking to him, singing about him, worshiping him? Yes, is that part of us? Are we thinking the words as we're singing them? As we're reading them, is there application? It should be fresh, right? Hey, should it be fresh in a marriage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a second command in this verse. First is to remember, and we are... Again, it's a command to be mindful, and especially to the second and third generation here. What's the second command? What's the word? Repent. Repent. Oh, don't you love that word? No. It's also an imperative. It refers to sorrowful, urgent change. Here it's referencing the thought and the attitude and the conduct. Now, what happens when we repent? There is a quality that is always true. It's not not a quality that, that stands by itself, but it is always part of repentance. What is that word? Sorrow. Sorrow. There's pain. And you know what pain does or sorrow does? It awakens the need to go farther. It helps us to identify. If there's no shame, there's no repentance. Because the duty of repentance is to change. 
There needs to be this change of thought and attitude and conduct. Without that, that pain, there's not going to be sufficient change. I think sometimes we think, okay, 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 I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop. That's not repentance either. Repentance is the stopping and what? Turning. Um, repentance is not satisfied with pain without a change. Repentance is not satisfied with stopping without a turning. With, with repentance, there is often embarrassment. Do you ever have that happen? Oh, I got embarrassed, by the way, this morning. Oh, yeah, right? Okay, how about you? You know what the part of the good thing about some embarrassment is? Change. Paying attention. And there's also, uh, there's, there's more than good intentions. Okay, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to stop that. And I'm, and I'm really going to intend whatever it is. There's more than that. It's not just good intentions. It's not just even expectations. It's not even just praying for God to do the change. Repentance is, is, is what I do to make it happen. It's my work. It's, it's my effort here that God blesses. Repenting will grieve over wasted opportunities. It will grieve over procrastination. It will grieve over some of the results. Hey, let, let, let's say some child does wrong and he's, and he's playing ball and he's outside and all of a sudden a window breaks. Oh, mom, I am so, I am so sorry. I, I, I hit the ball and it went through the window. Not enough. What, what, what? What should be in his mind? Not just that he hit the ball and went through the window. He's, he's in his mind, you know what? Mom told me never to play ball outside this part of the house. It's not just that I broke the window. I shouldn't have been playing ball there at all to begin with. Right? And I think sometimes, oh, we're going along in life. We're doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, something bad happens. We say, oh, no, God, I'm so, so sorry the bad happened. We should go back and say, whoa, God didn't want me playing there to begin with. It's not just the results. It's not just the embarrassment. But this pain is to, to wake us up and bring us to, you know what? I am going to go back, realize what I've done against God. God realize that his pain, just like a child recognizes parental pain. So you know what? I don't want to disappoint my parents like that again. I, you know, why, what have I done to God, right? And there is that stopping, that turning, that starting. It's both negative and positive. I said this, oh, maybe six months ago. When was the last time we repented of a sin? And we could all say, well, you know, yeah, 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 I think I did. <laughs> all right, yeah, 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 maybe, maybe six months. 
When's the last time I went to God and, and, I, and I was in pain? I had disappointed God. I had disobeyed him. Uh, whether there was significant damage or not, I know I disobeyed God. And, and I know I hurt him, went against him. I'm embarrassed. What am I doing? Oh, God. Hey, when's the last time we did that? Have we not sinned? You know what? We let so much stuff take the place of our repentance. We even say to ourselves, you know what? I'm never doing that again. Never, 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 never doing that again. Done, right? No. We need to confess that because we did wrong. We did what was against God's family. This is not what a Christian should be doing. This is not how a Christian should be talking. This is not how a Christian should react to all that stuff. That's not how I was made. That's not the purpose for which I am here here on this planet. Oh God, right? I'm going to do this your way. This is my plan. This is a verse I'm going to memorize to remind me that you are in charge of this. This is how I'm going to start looking at this person, this person that, that whoever he is, that's, that's a thorn in my flesh. This is how I'm going to respond to them. This is how I'm going to love them in your place. Where's our plan? If there is no promptness, there is no repentance. If there's no pain, there is no repentance. If there's no plan, there's not going to be repentance. By the way, if a person has a heart attack, and it's real obvious, what are we going to do? We're going to say, well, you know what? Just, uh, just take it easy. Go home. Wait a few days, right? Let's just see if it gets better. Is that what we do? What do we do? A person's having an obvious heart attack, and, and the, all the symptoms are there, and, and what are we going to do? Say, wait. What are we going to do? Help me out. We're going to call 911. Why? Because time is of essence. Nobody wants to go to the hospital, but I tell you what, if you're having a heart attack, you need to go to the hospital. Right? Listen, if a person needs to repent, don't wait. You say, oh, okay, okay, I've done, I've done wrong, and I said those words, or I want that, or whatever it is. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to wait a few days. I'm going to see if it blows over. I'm going to see if, if maybe they still act upset. I'm going to see if I forget about it. No, no, there needs to be a 911 call to God. Don't we understand heart attacks? Yes, but I, I'm afraid we don't understand repentance. Huh, this is an emergency. We are just not to remember, oh, yeah, I should not have been there, but we ought to look at the detail and say, you know what, I need to make that right. Oh, I need to make that right, too. Oh, yes. And we start getting into these details, thinking a few more days or a few more opportunities for sin, or we give these excuses. You know what, that's not repentance. That's not obeying the command. If you haven't read Matthew 18 lately, I encourage you to read it. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Does that bother you a little bit? That 
If I don't forgive somebody, God's not going to forgive me. Does that bother you a little bit? You know why it bothers us? You know why it bothers me? Because I don't think that what I did was so bad. Oh, yeah, yeah okay, okay. I, yeah, I, I was mean. I said those mad, bad words. I don't think they're bad. But God, you forgive me, okay? You know what God says? If, if what I do or what others do to me, if, if, that, if we don't see that from God's perspective, then we're not going to see what it takes to get forgiveness from him. And that concept is, is really illustrated in a big way at the end of Matthew 18. Matthew 18, remember the king forgave a servant that had borrowed a lot of money. He, could, he said, give me time, right? And the king said, I'll just forgive you. Incredible. Millions of dollars. That servant that just got forgiven, he goes out in the street and he sees another servant that owed him just a few dollars. And he says, give me what's mine. And, and the servant said, give me time. Same thing he said to the king. And you know what? He said, no. I'm going to put you in jail. Boy, you're going to be sorry you don't have the money to pay me. And he says, then Jesus concludes that parable and he says, if you don't forgive others, I'm going to deliver you to the tormentors. It is a big deal. Not only to be forgiven, but to forgive. And it's a two-way street that is, that is required in repentance. So we are to remember, we are to repent. What's the third word? Go. Yeah. And this is, again, this is a go. This is, this is a repeated event. Uh, not only, again, we're doing the works of the one who has this first love. Do you remember when you were first married? And you found out maybe that your wife likes flowers. Maybe you didn't like flowers, but because she liked flowers, you found yourself thinking about bringing home some flowers. Do you remember those days? You don't remember them. Okay, well, they were there. <laughs> remember. <laughs> And maybe when you're first married, you're thinking, you know, my husband's going to be home from work, and I want to give him a nice meal. Do you remember those days? You don't remember those either. That's the problem in our marriages. We forget. Okay, so, and by the way, you might want to, maybe as a girl, maybe you were messy. And your room was never, as a girl, maybe it was never in the right kind of order of things. There was more junk under your bed than in the drawers. Maybe as a girl. But when you got married, you wanted to, do you remember? At least for the first few days. You wanted to really put it all together. You wanted to give this good impression that, that you really knew how to take care of your home and, and be a homemaker. And, and so you would, you would work on a recipe or you'd work on cleaning the house or decorating, whatever it was. Do you remember in the early days, that, that's how it was. And, and early days, you'd bring home the flowers or, or the candy, whatever it was. And we'd want to be kind and forbearing because, you know, when you first get married, you're really not for sure how it's going to all work out. You know there's going to have to be give and take, but you, you, you think there's going to be more take than give. 
But that's not true. There's a lot of giving in marriage, isn't there? You know, after a while, after we've been married for a few years, we kind of forget about some of that. What happened to the flowers? Or what happened to the cleanliness? Or the meal? How about us as Christians? What happened to us? What in the world? Are we willing to obey? When we were first a Christian, whatever the Lord wanted, right? We were volunteering for anything when we were first saved. Not anymore. Give, care, be used, whatever it was. Yes, I want to do that. We've got to go back to the first things. Start doing them. Putting them in a schedule. Planning for these things. The Pharisees, and I'll say a lot of the Jewish culture, was just about showmanship. What looked good in public. And that's ugly, isn't it? Because you have to live at home and you see the hypocrisy in public and you come home and you want to throw up. And this church... God didn't want them to be that way. He didn't want them to be fakes. He didn't want them to be hypocrites. He, he wanted them to be real. What they were in public, what they were in private. He wanted them to show love to God and that it would be something that would be talked about. Here was a church where the individuals loved God. That was real. Love sinners, but not the sin. And then he mentions this word, Nicolaitans. I'm going to look at that tonight. We're going to have a devotional tonight, Lord willing, a little devotional, and then we'll get into this informational stuff. And he says, let me finish with this this morning. It says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy what? Candlestick out of his place. Literally, that is saying, I am coming. I am coming this is certainty. This is something that's going to happen. And it's going to come even when it's not expected. And this is not talking about the rapture. This is talking about judgment on a local church. He's going to come as a judge. And he's going to take this church from its ministry. We don't know what the details are. But he could either close it, he could move it, or maybe he could keep it fruitless. This is not, again, a coming judgment of the rapture, but God was not going to waste another pastor on this church. That's a scary thought. This phrase is almost always used to imply that something is going to cease to exist. You could almost say God is saying, do this. Oh, you've got this good stuff going for you. You are working hard, but you've left your first love. Let me help you with that. If you don't, you're going to die. You know, um, we miss hundreds of opportunities every day because we're not right with God. We walk into a crowd of people and, and we want to say something. Or we want them to notice something. 
or we have our little agenda. You know what God's saying? When you walk into a crowd of people, represent me. Yeah. We, uh, our love for God has become more shallow than ever before. And when it comes down to us, most of us hate it. Oh, oh, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why wasn't, why didn't I give out a track? Why didn't I love that person? And I'll tell you why. The first generation, these adults, these pagans, these idol worshipers that got saved, they loved God. And they taught their kids a lot about God. And these kids here, yeah, they, they, they had a lot of good doctrinal statements. And it was right. But they were losing their love for, for God. And let me tell you, it was the third generation that was going to lose it. Scary thought. It hurts everybody. But especially the third generation. What's the three commands? What's the first one? Remember, second one is repent, and the third one is do. Yeah. If we love God, you know what? Let's do it. Yeah, we want to love God. Yes, let's, let's come up with a plan, an individual plan. Let's, yes, let's put this together. Not be robotic, not be a hypocrite, not be one way at church and another way at home. Yes. I am going to put some effort in this. Repentance is my decision. Yes, I am going to change. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I I, I should be better, more in love with God than the first generation or the second generation. And I'm not the best Christian that I ever used to be. But I'm going to change that by God's grace. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to work at this. I'm going to put some feet to this. I'm, I'm going to schedule this. And I'm going to have a quality Bible study. I'm going to give up maybe a, a TV show because I'm going to study the Bible. Not just read it. I'm going to study it. Not only that, I'm going to forgive somebody. I really am. I, I'm not going to hold that over again. I'm going to forbear. I don't have to keep remembering that stuff. Or maybe it could be, you know what, I'm going to pray for somebody. Well, I am going to pray for them. Specifically, my family. I I have unsaved people in my family. And I'm going to pray for them for multiple levels. Not just one thing, but all the other things that would be involved with that. I'm going to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's it. Yes. Yes. A hundred times a day, I'm going to say yes Yes, yes, Ooh, yes. I'm going to surrender to the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to pray about somebody and then I, I'm, I'm going to ask God to help me with talking to them about Jesus. I'm going to be thankful in my speech. This negativity that comes out of my mouth, I'll tell you what, I want it to be positive. I want people to think of Jesus. And by the way, where does negativity come from? comes from our heart I'm going to show specific love and love that has sacrifice to this hey it's one thing I've got $100 in my pocket and I give somebody $10 I just gave them 
What if I give somebody $100? That's called sacrifice. I'm going to attend church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to please God. What is one thing, just one thing among us where we really could, if we so chose, show love to God better? Let's bow our heads. I want to ask a question. Who among us is not at this moment the best Christian they have ever been? Raise your hand. Okay, let's put our hands down. Then maybe we could make a change, right? It's a choice. Second question, who among us we, we are wasting time. We're, we're doing things that are okay. It's just not, we're not doing the best. In fact, when we waste time, it's wasting life. But who among us can say, you know what? I know something is not necessarily bad in itself, but I could do something better with my time. I know I can. I know what it is. Raise your hand. Put your hand up. Okay? Put your hand down. Well, then let's do it. We know what it is. Let's do it. Let's remember. Let's repent. And let's do it. Let's plan on it. Put it on our schedule. Think about it. How can we do this better? Heavenly Father... We can't help but look at a mirror when we look at this church of Ephesus. We can look back in Acts and other passages and we see what a blessed church it was. They had so many things that were going for it. And these idol worshipers, these pagans were getting saved and their lives were changing. And, and they weren't perfect, but boy, they, they really wanted to serve you. And yet now, a generation later, their children don't. Their children aren't there. Theologically right, but practically wrong. And I pray for us and anybody that resembles any of that, this was written for us. And I pray there'll be significant changes. We will... We will put this together. We will choose to repent. We will make these decisions. We will, we will make them better and better as we can to show love to you and to represent you best. For every hand that was raised, I, I pray specifically for those decisions that was behind that raising of a hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Our heads are bowed. I'm going to ask uh, Andrew if he'll play Lord, lay some soul upon my heart.
It's not about us. It's about the next generation. It's not about us. It's about the people that are around us that will see the change because we love Jesus. And Andrew, would you play that through a couple times? And then we'll sing it, sing one stanza. Mm -hmm. 